You're listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Greg Hectus. Am I the only character today? Yep. We're going to have some late arrivals. But on the show today, we'll be recapping the E-NASCAR Coke Series race from Richmond, as well as the Porsche Super Cup race at Red Bull Ring. We'll ask why so much difference from Coda in iRacing and the real race, and we'll ride along with Snoop Dogg in iRacing. Sim Coaches offers the realistic sim racing equipment you need to win more races online. It is designed for real racers. Hydraulic construction makes them feel just like the real thing. High quality construction, 100% leak proof, and lifetime warranty are the key features with these pedals. And they look absolutely amazing. Check out simcoaches.com. Use the coupon code iRacersLounge to get 10% off your purchase. Simcoaches.com is your ticket to feel like you've actually sitting behind the wheel of a car Drive harder and stay on the limit longer. They have a video out right now where they're showing off perhaps some new stuff. Like he had a triple monitor mount that was all custom. So uh, maybe new products coming. That'd be exciting. Well, what was really exciting was seeing the look on Mr. Snoop Dogg's face as he was uh, rage quitting iRacing. And I had no idea that Snoop was uh, was racing with us. That's cool. That's so cool. I think it's. I think it was interesting to see him that he's even in the open wheel series too, right? Like I would. I don't know what I would expect him to drive, but the open wheel series is definitely interesting. Yeah, and he's obviously streaming his race, and <laughs> he gets into the wall, and the look on his face. Oh my God! It's like it, he could not be more serious. Like pissed off, mad. Like, what the F just happened, you know, kind of thing. And then he rips off his headset and just, you know, rips it off his head, you know, and damn, you know. Pounding the desk, right? He was just pounding that desk. I just love the passion. I had no idea that he was a racer. Yeah, I never I never expected that to, you know, I never expected him to get into the sim, but, you know, that just shows you the reach that it has, right? Yeah, you know, how, there's, there's probably a lot of casual users out there that we're probably unaware of that, you know, hop on, try some stuff, dump it in the wall because it's so hard and walk away, you know, much like Snoop did. Let's talk uh, Coda. Crazy race. Um, it was fun to watch at the end and typical NASCAR is what I would say. But, uh, of course, the uh, the question came up in the forums, Greg, that, Hey, uh, what would happen in iRacing if, you know, the same situation happened? Um, it's kind of interesting because we had the first taste of this. Do you remember last year at the Fast Track, in our, our, our league did it. And um, so I guess, was it Tyler Stokesbury posted that... Uh, uh, I noticed specifically with Coda, NASCAR is allowed to driver, or allowing drivers to use a lot of the paved off areas. How hard would it be NASCAR to lay out where the only difference is expanding track limits that follow the NASCAR rules more closely? So basically, 
what they would have to do, I guess, would they not have to consider it as an, another layout? So you'd have the same F1 layout and the NASCAR layout, but you'd be clicking the NASCAR tab and it would, you know, giving this runoff area, but we raced that runoff area and it's, it does help you, but um, I mean, Coda is such a restricted, a restricted track when you're driving on it for X's. If you look at the track, even the wrong way, it gives you an X. So I don't know if you heard the door bumper clear, but, yeah, they certainly had a story on this as well, and and they're asking why are we, why is NASCAR enforcing those? I think it's the S's or the three corners. There's three corners specifically. If you shortcut, you would be penalized. And so there was one situation where somebody got forced down there. They were going to penalize him, but then they withdrew because he was forced. Um, and it just makes those judgment calls. And like Brett Griffin was saying. We don't need these judgment calls. He was saying, you know, put a put a camera in there on each corner and a guy, and you know, if they go over, they, you know, they go over, you know, and and so they were saying basically that Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson and some of these guys are getting preferential treatment uh, on these uh, non calls versus calls, you know, and the back markers were getting called, and you know, it's it's a problem in NASCAR, um, but. As far as it ties to iRacing, you know, what I want to see at Coda in iRacing is the same out-of-bound limits that the NASCAR boys have. You know, if they're enforced in the three corners, fine. Everywhere else, I want to be able to run off, okay, without the 1X, and I want to race it just like they're racing. The way that they went down into turn one and they all fan out seven, eight wide, you know, uh, I want to be able to do that. Yeah. Lost you. You got me? Yeah. Um, I, I think they could create it because we saw this problem with spa years ago when they didn't, when spa was so strict and they changed some of the limits on it. I mean, it would be good to, to do this. Um, I know the door bumper clear guys were kind of, you know, they're always poking a little bit of favoritism towards Hendrick Motorsports anyways. Um, I don't know, you know, they see a lot more than what we would naturally see on TV bias wise but um as it goes to racing on the track i would believe i racing could do it do they want to for one race of the year i don't know do they want really want to spend resources and time to change all that stuff for a, a one week series yeah good point um i just feel like coda for us and i race I, I you know it was just like who could not run off i mean you just you know, and just keep it on the pavement and you had a good race. And, and because the, the track, the off tracks were just so close to the edge everywhere, you know? And so you really had to tiptoe instead of race. Yeah. You're it. And a lot of, and I think this is obviously the first road race of the year too. So we're trying to figure out the new car and what we need um, to do it, but to be on one of the most strict tracks to run to in 17 X, um, you, you basically go around that whole track and come back with eight or nine X, just why one X is on the way around, uh, one on one lap. So it's, it's tough, but, uh, I'm, I'm okay with what they've done with the Dakota track, but I would love to see it the other way, because like I said, we did race it last year in a league race where they ignored the track limits and it was actually enjoyable to do that. Right. That's what I'm saying is if, you know, if we were able to go wide in one and some of these other corners, uh, it would it would be great because um, you, you, you could really try try a little harder and, you, you know, you wouldn't be penalized. See, I think 
and, and it's surprising because I thought NASCAR, didn't they create a whole system for even pit road? Um, I know they were talking about this on the show, but didn't they create a system in pit road when something went out of the box, it would, it would detect to NASCAR and it would show them what it was doing. Could they not have done the exact same thing with an overhead camera? Say this is where the cars have to go through. And if something has made its way, it detects it going through it. Like that's probably, there's probably something they could definitely do for that track for, for what they were talking about on that podcast. Well, like Brett's saying, if you're going to have the rule, you have to be able to enforce it correctly. And they're not doing it correctly, apparently. But, you know, obviously iRacing can do it easily because by programming. That's what I'm saying. Let's just, you know, change the, the one-offs to, be, to match what NASCAR has. So if there's three corners that have them, then that's it. And the rest of the corners, it's wide open, man. You know, whoever gets a, their first wins. Well, and we were we were saying this about uh, Watkins Glen. Watkins Glen was always different with the runoff areas too, right? So um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if that would ever get changed. Like I said, I don't know if iRacing develop or devotes any resources to do it. Yeah. So in a re- now I'm going to jump ahead, Greg, to a related story several down, and it's would Chastain get protested if this last lap move with Almendinger um, during the NASCAR race was on iRacing versus NASCAR. If iRacing was the sanctioning body, uh, would, would he get protested? And um, this is an interesting topic and there's a lot of uh, debate in the forums about it. Um, I think Nim Cross even weighed in here and said specifically, he says, quote, for iRacing intentional wrecking is not allowed under any circumstance, you will see this in the iRacing Sporting Code. It would be interesting. This would be a, definitely a David Hall topic if he was here tonight to talk about this thing. But what lost you? A lot of the things in NASCAR um, don't pertain to what we do in iRacing. Like they they move guys on the regular to do a lot of these things, right? So does it really? You know, iRacing, you can't really compare iRacing and what NASCAR does at all because of the strict policy guidelines that iRacing sits out, right? Well, I understand why Nim says that. And, you know, we've seen it before, even in sanctioned races like the Coke race, you know, you know, somebody gets moved for the win and, you know, does he get protested? Probably not. Now, my question is, like, if, Mike, if you were in that position where Ross Chastain, um, or, like, in yourself, Mike, because, you you know, you don't glorify yourself as a road, or, uh, an awesome road racer, but if you came down to your being, you know, a chance at your first road win and you were in that situation with somebody, do you even try, do you just try it in the first place because, and risk the protest? Oh, hell yeah. I wreck my grandmother to win one yeah. of these races. <laughs> you know that's so. true. I think we're all like that to a degree. And, you know, Rubin is racing and, you know, there's a couple of things, you know, like Dale Jr. Download. I mean, he was talking about how, you know, Ross Chastain is getting, you know, a, uh, a reputation, you know, for how he drives and everyone knows it. And But when AJ moved chastain it was a real it was a nudge it was a bump him into the next groove up he he's able to continue on and and still fight okay that's that's okay that's rubbing his racing that's something that i do when i race sometimes for a win uh 
you know, but you know, what Chastain did after that and, you know, where he pile drove him, you know, into the 48 car and dumped him clear off the track. I mean, that was a little bit over the top. Yeah. But I think we had this conversation too, about if the 48's not even there, it's a bump and run and AJ saves that it's just out of the way. He's pushing him further off the track, but because the 48's there, it's one of those, really hard impacts where it's going to spin out the car that was shunted. So I don't know if it's just an unfortunate um, thing, but something happened to, you know, watching the way that would come back, AJ should have been already after he bumped him in and took off, he should have been gone. The, something happened on the way out of those on that sweeping right hander where AJ just didn't get going as fast as he thought he would. And it left the door open. And what, what's the saying? If you're going to move somebody, move him so you, he never gets back to you because if he gets back to you you're going to be you're in a world of trouble yeah the run part yeah exactly so you know it and so i know why nim would say that i think in the spirit of would would this be protestable in i racing i think the part where aj moved ross initially that's not protestable really but the other way around, technically, that could be a protest. The way that, you know, he pile-droved him in there a little bit hard. And it's kind of one of those things. It's a, it's a judgment call. And I'm sure they would, you know, give him that stern warning and what whatever. Yeah. Well, and to go with what you're saying there, Mike, I think if you look at that lap as a whole, so say it's two racers on iRacing and it's the exact same situation, the first guy moved the guy out of the way and, and kind of rode on. They didn't have an accident. And then the second guy went in there and did that as a whole totality of a whole incident. It would be a very hard thing as the second guy to defend that it wasn't a retaliatory move, right? Like if it was something on the last lap and that was all that was going on and there wasn't a, an incident beforehand, maybe it gets through a little bit more because it's going for the win. But it, because it's on a retaliatory part of it, it's. I think you would get a pretty nasty. You might get a week off for for that move. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, wins are hard to come by, and some of these series, you know, it's like, uh, would I do it? I mean, you, you do it. Like I said, you can. You try the bump and run, and you got to know what you're doing, or you can't mess it up. You know, and but. But you know that's different than driving it in five from five back, you know, and 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 clipping the guy, and you know, or something stupid, you know. And I'm not doing that. Well, and I think also the the worst part of iRacing is is the bump and run. You don't know if the bump and run is actually a bump and run where you're going to touch the guy and and push them out of the way or net code them and spin them out, right? Like there's just that degree of difficulty where net code can come into it and and ruin what you're thinking is going to go on. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other part of this too, I mean, I wanted to say is, you know, the, the E drivers or the, the iRacers out there, you know, they're taking their, their clues from what they see on TV, you know, of how, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. How do you do this racing? Let's say you're, you know, from Europe and you're not really savvy on the oval stuff and you watch NASCAR and you're trying to learn how to do this. I mean, this is what they're learning when they see it. <laughs> Oh, definitely. It's, it's, you know, a lot of people come into the sim because they see things 
um, you know, I want to do that type of thing. And they realize, oh, I can do a sim, do it simulated wise. Uh, instead of, you know, I don't have to go out and tear up a, and pay my own money and do just do it this way. And I can race at, you know, professional guys or whatever. Um, it just kind of lends the, you know, of it happening. But, uh, I think, I think we always get that, that, that between the, you know, other parts of the world and then the North American racing, we always get that difference of etiquette, right? Yep. And, and obviously I racing is a little bit different. You're not supposed to intentionally wreck anyone for any reason. And so I'll say that out loud again, that that is the rule. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you're playing with fire, I guess, if, if you want to do the bump and run um, and see if you can get away with it. All right. This next one is, I'm going to say controversial for me. We need to start some music for you in this one. <laughs> David needs to insert something. Good the violins here. or something. Okay. So we've had an, an announcement from iRacing. It says, for a short period of time, iRacing will enable a new event registration forwarding system for the classic member site. This system will prevent registration actions of all types for events of any kind from the classic member site only. So this is it. They're, they're neutering the website where you cannot register for an event. Completely neutering it. And we, you know, we've been on borrowed time with the website since the UI came out. We kind of knew that this was going to happen eventually someday. We just, you know, I thought that the web, the UI would be a lot more further along maybe than what it is compared to how good the website's been for so many years. Well, that's my thing. I mean, they, in my opinion, they still have not matched the functionality of the classic member site in the UI. At least match it, if, if not make it better. But they haven't even matched it. And so until they get to that point, I'm not a fan. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously, if I want to race when they do this, I'm going to have to use the UI. Now, we've are, you know, the first question that came up in our chat when we talked about this was, what about Brian and his third-party app that doesn't work if he launches from the UI? And, and, and those people that have those problems. I mean, um, there's no thought of that. No, and I'm sure other sites are going to jump on quickly. Like these, these third-party apps really get involved. Maybe they were just waiting for the shoe to drop where it forces them to try and figure out how to make these, you know, the apps work for the website or for the, the UI. Um, but it is difficult uh, maybe on a budget for some of those smaller apps too to even get this done. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, this is uh, not permanent yet. It's a temporary thing they're going to do uh, coming up tomorrow and the next day. and Well, actually over the weekend. So it's fri uh, Friday through Sunday, basically. Um, and apparently after Sunday, it goes back to normal. So it's basically a test just to see if they can sustain and not have any problems by shutting down the website and and seeing how well it can do for a couple of days on its own. Basically, and they also say the Creventic Endurance Series special event is running during this time. And so that's uh, another test. Now, they do give some reasoning behind why um, this is needed. Where did I read that at, though? Oh, here it is. Um, 
Presently, all registration activities done through the classic member site have the potential to create database contention and conflicts in some rare situations, and the chances of this occurring are higher during very populated special events. By funneling all registration through the racing UI, everything will run smoother, faster, and there'll be no risk of database contention or locking. So that's the reason is um, you got two different sources or customer uh, interfaces that are accessing the same database and it, it can create issues. And so they, they want to basically just have one user interface. I wonder for coding and problematic solving down the road, if going to just one system will make it a lot easier for them to do things going forward. Like you're saying, if you're trying to trying to combat a two-headed monster when you really don't need to, it might be a little bit, it'll be more of a stress relief on them if they can get the UI um, to be their only main focus. Right. Well, how many casual racers that, you know, don't pay attention to stuff are going to get caught off guard on this. You know, I'm sure that they're going to program the website, you know, push this big button here to go racing, you know, and make it pretty obvious. But, um, but still, I mean, I don't know. I hope it goes well. I understand why they need to do it. Let's do it. But man, let's get the UI uh, better. Let's make it where it's got all the features that the regular website has. That's all I ask. Well, here, Mike, I'm going to, you know, tell me if this feels right for you, too. I'm going to give you a week in my eyes of how I use the website and the UI together. So on Monday nights, we have our Fast Track League, which I access through the UI to either test from the UI with it uh, once it's registered as a session before we actually go in it. And then I should go and race. But then Tuesday, if I do testing, I'm in the website using the website to do the, um, you know, clicking on the race or the practice sessions and, and that, and then Wednesday, the same thing, I'll be on the website Thursday night. If I'm accessing it, I'll have another league and I'm going to be using the UI to access that league Friday. It'll be back to the website and then anything on the weekend. It's a lot of the stuff is just any of the actual official races. I use the website to, to access all the time. League is basically the only time I'm using the UI um, to access my certain races for, right? Well, I know I'm doing League on the website too. Um, I do everything on the website except for AI. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know. You probably feel the same way I do. I just think there's way too many clicks on the UI to do what one simple thing you used to do on the website. That's what I was just thinking is, how fast do I get to be able to launch a league session? I sit down, I open Google Chrome, it opens to the iRacing member site, I have to click league, league session, and hit the green button. That's that's four clicks of a mouse. Okay, now tell me how many clicks it is in the UI. <laughs> so you would click to open the UI, you wait for it to load. That's it right there, boom, you've already failed because we have to wait for it to load. We don't have to wait for Google Chrome to load and a website to load. That's instantaneous. So it's well, already failed homepage, in my right? mind. Like my, my homepage is the member site. Right. So it's just like, uh, it, it's not better. It's not better. No. And, and like I said, I think it's, we're still, 
miles upon miles away from it being something where you don't feel like, I mean, if I probably in a couple, if we had were forced for the next week to do it, I'm sure it's going to be no problem on our, our end. There's probably something we'll be looking for at some point and go, Oh no, where is it? And then you can't find it on the UI because it doesn't exist or it's really hard to find. But then, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I think it's probably two of us are, we're so invested in the website. Well, I'm in my 11th what, year. 2010, of 2009. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, you, you, you know, if I, if I worked there, I would just be saying, you know what, let's port the website into a tab in the UI for those old geezers that don't like anything else. Uh, why couldn't they just recreate the exact same thing, you know, in the UI and they have the new interface and the old interface and you can switch between them or whatever. Now you were obviously more integrated in the old uh, forms and stuff too. Like I feel like the UI, if it got switched over all of a sudden and we weren't allowed to use the website, I feel like it would feel for like the forms for me. I, I used to visit the old forms a lot more. I don't even go to the new forms as much anymore because I feel like it would just be less. Or I just feel like, I just, I know less about the new forms. There's less traffic there for sure. Um, now, the volume has picked up a bit since they initially changed um, to the new forms, but you're right. I, even myself, I don't spend as much time in the forms as I used to. Um, it's just not the same. But we'll see how this plays out. Now, I'm sure it'll be, a, a you know, one of those, it was a success and we need to, you know, so we're going to plan on doing this permanently is probably what we'll end up with, which, you know, I'll roll with it. You know, I'm not going to not race because of it or anything like that, but, but, uh, you know, I just, you know, Hey, I want to, I want good stats. I want to be able to, I want to be able to enter my league race in four clicks. You know, you got to understand how I do racing. I'll turn on my rig and I'll walk out of the office and I'll get everything up and running from my cell phone, remoting in being uh, with remote Chrome desktop. Um, and, and I'll remote in and I'll fire up the website and all my third party apps and I'll register, you know, by, like I said, with three clicks for my league event, you know, and it, it's just not that easy with the UI, you know, like how can I get to my third party apps and make sure they're all up if I have this big UI open, you know, and it's, so it's just, it's just different and I'll have to figure out a, a flow. And McCubbin joins us just in time for the, they're going to nuke the website story. Hey, what's up guys? Sorry to be late. Well, you're not late because you're just in time for the Porsche super cup championship round five. Yeah. So uh, round five, this, uh, was pat this past Saturday. Uh, it was at the Red Bull ring and, uh, um, Red Bull's own driver Sebastian Job became the fifth different main event winner in the in the five rounds of the new Porsche series. So uh, that's his first win of the season, obviously, because there's been a different winner every week. Um, but it, but uh, Job actually was able to jump all the way to second in the point standings after that victory. Um, he's had a really rough start to the beginning of the season. He was out of the top twenty after the first two weeks, but uh, he's really come on strong in the last couple of rounds uh, to. Uh, make his way up to uh, p2 in the standings with this win um it's uh it's um sebastian was one of the um favorites especially after all the coanda guys kind of uh pulled out of the series to uh to take this championship and uh 
had that real slow start and uh, people were like, man, what happened to Sebastian job? He was supposed to be like almost a ringer for this. Well, he's, uh, he's back in it now after this win at a uh, Red Bull ring. And uh, he's, he's going to be putting pressure on now for the rest of the season to take this title. Um, yeah. He's only 40 points off uh, the first place. So, and, and you would imagine he would pick up some momentum, hopefully, you know, and, and, and continue to run well. Yeah, exactly, Mike. Um, but uh, yeah, he is still uh, 38 points is the exact uh, uh, gap between first place, uh, Diogo Pinto, who is uh, currently the uh, the leader in the series. So um, it's not a huge lead, and but uh, it's definitely something Sebastian could probably put a lot of pressure on with these uh, the last half of the season coming up. All right, very good. How did we do on the Sebring 12 hours? Todd Tavosi do. You guys didn't run. <laughs> uh, I David started, and I uh, I was getting up to uh, to race with it to get to go in the car, and I had already woke up to a message saying we were out of it. So <laughs> his first two hour stint or whatever it was was not uh, enough to uh, get uh, the car wasn't in good enough shape for me to get in to do this, uh, the next uh, stint. So. We, uh, we were out of it, but uh, top split honors go to Josh Rogers uh, and Michael DeJean in the uh, Coandis Motorsports cars uh, for their 12-hour event. Um, awesome job. I mean, I'm not surprised that they're in to- at the top and one top split. Are you guys? No, no, definitely not. Um, these guys are, are the premier road racers, apparently, in whatever series they run. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm not surprised at all that that team uh, took the championship or the, the the win for that Sebring. And only two of them in one car, so that's quite a bit of driving. Well, I mean, it's for 12 hours. It's just switching on back and forth, right? I mean, it the 12 hour one's a little bit more of a a manageable one uh, for a two driver thing. Um, that's why it's like you know best to have four for 24 hours and two for. 12 hours or three for 12 hours, but uh, um, those guys hands down probably could run the 12 hours both by themselves and probably still come away with a win. All right. Found a video from Dom Parker racing. Um, He said he's been on iRacing for one calendar year. And so in his YouTube video, he wanted to do uh, a video to show how much did he actually spend. And so at the end of the the, so he kind of documents his journey through iRacing through the first year. And if you're new to iRacing, this is very interesting. If you're trying to do it on a budget or to, you're not sure, you know, what direction to go or what to buy. Um, he makes some smart decisions on how to purchase. Uh, usually on week 13, uh, he would buy tracks and uh, that he needed for the upcoming uh, season. Um, and, and he would target a particular car in a season as he progressed up the ranks and, uh, and bought accordingly. And then sometimes he would splurge and, oh, I'm going to get a dirt car that looks like fun and, and a dirt track, or he would, you know, try some other disciplines and, and he didn't go crazy, but you know, he did enjoy it. And so at the end of the day, I think it was $667 is what his number was, um, but I, it was fascinating to see what he decided to buy, why he bought it, what it was his reasoning for buying it, that kind of thing. He was always trying to do a quantity discount uh, when he did buy. And so he would not try to 
buy them one at a time, you'd wait and get several at a time. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's always been the, um, the thing about iRacing that people have been warning about that it can be super expensive. Um, but I think, I think it goes to show that, you know, yeah, it's going to be more than buying a, you know, a, a, a $50 game or something like that, but it is a different experience than that. And, um, it's, it's not crazy expensive if you're, you know, if you just, just careful with what you buy, you don't get too extravagant. And over time, you know, that cost can be spread out and, um, it's a lot more palatable if you're spreading things out, you know, and you're not buying everything at one time. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Brian, because that's an, absolutely the truth. I mean, that number is pretty big for one year. Because I went and decided to add up what I've spent. Now, believe it or not, I keep a checkbook uh, on a website. And so I have a way of searching uh, iRacing uh, and how many times I've paid them over the years. 82 different times I've paid them. Almost basically $1,400. That's the total amount I've paid iRacing. And I've been on 11 years. Now, I, I'm going to break that. I did some math to kind of break that 1400 down into some perspective. So I figured it's $18 per win with my 79 wins. Or it's $0.48 cents for every start I've had in a race. Or it's $0.06 cents a lap, if you count all the laps I've done. Or uh, per year, I've spent 127 per year. Yeah, you should we, in, should we yeah. really be having the discussion about how much someone spent in a first year when this sim's been around now 13, 14, 15 years going on? Because when we first started, if you started at in 2008, you might have only spent $70, $100 in the first year because that's all the content there was. When you've got the option to spend three or $4,000 on something, because it's all there dangled in front of you, you're probably going to spend more, right? So, you know, if if you don't pick a certain discipline, um, you know, say say this guy bought it and just for one year just ran the NASCAR races, you know, he'd have probably, what, 20 tra tracks and one car and 20 plus tracks and then one car. You know, you're looking at probably... The, what the what he paid it in for it but now what's his investment in year two depending on what he wants to do does year two now go down to say a hundred dollars right and then now so over two years he spent seven hundred dollars or something like that right so it's all nice and good when you're way behind and don't have any content um to say yeah i spent all this in one year but what does it equal out to once you've gotten to a point where you're running more, you know, what you want to do on here? Yeah. You know, I bought the NASCAR tracks and the NASCAR a car and I was set, you know, I wasn't buying new stuff. You know, I, I went, I, you know, I, I would probably buy, you know, a track here and there, um, that came out. Um, but I usually didn't, you know, and I usually didn't buy the new cars that come out. And so, yeah, I've kept in my price down a lot. Now, that's just the cost of the subscription. I was like, man, can I figure out how much I spent on hardware? I can't. I wish I had categorized it somehow in my checkbook. 
where I could have tracked that because really that would have been a huge number. number. Yeah, let's let's keep that quiet just in yeah, case anyone's listening. Some wives that don't need to know that that checkbook exactly. exists for that much. There's there's some there's a reason we these things sneak in through the back door when they're uh, delivered and stuff like that. There's that's why I come through the garage and go straight down the back steps so the wife doesn't see what comes in through the car. Exactly, or or you're trying to race home before she gets off, so uh, you get to the uh, whatever was dropped off the first. Well, I, I find it funny even with the, the other day, I haven't, my dad hasn't been over my house since I built my new rig and he didn't know I had done it. And uh, he walked in the room and he goes, is that new? And I said, well, yeah, it's definitely, definitely different than the one I was racing on. And uh, he's like, he's like, does, does your wife know that you bought that? I said, yeah, she knows I bought it. She just doesn't know how much. <laughs> oh, it was on sale. It was on sale. It was the best deal you could get. Exactly. Exactly. But no, that's a good point. And I don't consider hardware directly tied with iRacing because if if I bought any racing game that I was really into, that I really enjoyed, the hardware would have come along with it no matter what game I bought. So it just so happens that iRacing supports a lot of this cool stuff that you can get. And, um, you know, so I don't partic- tie that directly with iRacing. You know, I can throw out some rough numbers you know of what my experience is and i'll just do that and you you guys can keep yours quiet but but mine is especially you brian um but my Thank numbers you. i appreciate that <laughs> so i got my new wheel i don't have yet 1300 you got the rig i did last fall three to four thousand you got the computer three thousand the computer before that two thousand the pedals, twelve hundred. The wheel, base, a thousand. So yeah, and oh, my rig before that, the Obato, that was a thousand as well. I think you're up to a hundred million. But that's some rough numbers. <laughs> it's a hobby. We're gonna spend something on it. We love it. It's it's what it is. What it is. I mean so. In my head, I think I just added up about ten grand, roughly. So maybe ten grand in hardware, and then fourteen hundred for iRacing specifically. So yeah, I mean it's a cheap hobby if you look at it that way. A thousand a year. I mean over eleven years. I mean, I mean it's that's cheap. I mean I can't even go shooting for a thousand a year. You know, uh, you know, do my with my guns and stuff, or or go have track days with go karts or something. I mean, that's cheap. Yeah, you you can't you can't go golfing twenty times a right. season for that price. Yeah, it, it's it's all relative to what you want to say it is, but you know, when you have an initial cost, it always is going to look bigger than when it's spread over the actual time of play, right? All right, next one is, Brian, tell us about setup shop shenanigans. Oh, I didn't get a chance to check this out. I know there were some issues with, um, with the uh, setups that were proprietary to a certain company that may have been uh, lifted from other, other people. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if uh, it's okay to mention names, Mike, but if, if you think so, go right ahead. Well... I mean, Greg, you asked, didn't we already talk about this in the past? And the answer is, yeah. I mean, this has come up before. Um, I want to say last fall or maybe last summer. I can't remember specifically, but 
we have a different report. You know, we have a this uh, podcast called Area 51 Alien Factory. And um, they had an interview with um, Ken Byron from Ryko. Uh, and Ryko is one of the more popular setup shops out there. And um, there's a different setup shop apparently called Premier. And uh, as of even recently uh, in season two on uh, cars A, B, and C, um, apparently Premier has been selling uh, sets to, to, to drivers uh, that were actually Ryko sets. And they had the notes in them from Ryko still in there. They, like, they forgot to remove the notes from the setups they stole. Yeah, once you have the notes still in there, that's pretty much a dead giveaway. I mean, you you could probably make a case. Well, well, we just came to the same conclusions, but once you start seeing the notes in the sets from the sets, then that's a problem. Well, Mike, do you find it odd that both times it's been Ryko in this, like that we've come across? Ryko was the other one too, so you know. Is it the obviously are they either that much better, you know, setup wise, or are they is there standards for for what they do, letting people allowing them to get away with this or something? Like I, I don't we don't remember seeing this with other setup shops that we know of, but obviously if some of these guys are smarter and get rid of the notes or things like that that look like it, um you know, it, it's probably easy to get away with stealing one if you're smart enough to watermark or get rid of anything they kind of watermarked. But there is no way to fully watermark a setup. It's just a set of numbers, right? It. I think it's big fish, little fish. I mean, uh, you know, they're just a target because of that, perhaps. But um, I, I don't think it's anything they're doing wrong. Um, you know, it's just, you know, the, the way this, the video kind of rolls is, the guy from Ryko was basically contacted by people within the team at Premier saying, Hey, you know, this isn't cool. They're doing this. So, you know, I want, I'm getting out. I want to let, let you know. And, you know, and they've given them, you know, visual evidence of it too. So it's just like, okay. Yeah. So be careful out there uh, when you're buying setups guys and uh, you never know what you're getting. But also be truthworthy too, as you know, individuals like this community only survives because these people, these other people build some of these things for us too, right? So we don't want to lose, um, you know, good setup builders that help guys that don't know what they're doing but want to race and you know just come and race that uh, be more competitive in the open sets. You don't want to, we don't want to lose some of these builders because then then the system or then the the open uh, series start dwindling. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't make a set if my life depended on it. I, I really couldn't, even though I've been doing this forever. And it, it amazes me when these guys can come up with, with these amazing sets that drive so well and, and whatnot. And you're right. I mean, we need this as a community. We need setup shops. I mean, it's evolved into this thing that, you know, and there's money in it. You know, you have to pay a subscription usually and but that's understandable because these guys are putting a ton of time in it. And so in the video, you'll also see Ken describe his setup builders putting in 40, 60, 80 hours, you know, over, uh, you know, a two or three week span on a particular set, um, you know, real time spent on these things. And 
he was even suggesting they're not really making money, you know, uh, on the whole thing. You know, pro it's not really a profit uh, situation. Well, I mean, it's this this is what we you know, we need people out there to do these things. It's like we need companies to build hardware like we could still be racing. I racing on a controller. Nobody has to invest in and building any of these other things for for us to do these type of things. So we don't want to lose the things we have um, by cheating the systems or, you know, pissing off some of these guys. We appreciate every single person in the community that, you know, really tries um, to offer what they're best at. And, you know, I mean, look at, look at what we do. We don't have to do this. We do this nonprofit out of our own time, um, for fun. Yep. Yep. Great points. Um, and you know, these guys, if they are making anything, they're not going to be able to uh, spend it on any kind of legal replications, you know, to try to, uh, recuperate what the, what they're losing from uh, these other companies that are stealing their sets. You know, it's, it's an obvious um, IP intellectual property infringement type of deal, but you know, it, to go to make it stick legally, it, it would, it would cost money. And I, I would imagine these guys don't want to invest, uh, invest the money into any kind of uh, legal fees to recuperate their losses when they're not making that much to beginning begin with, they'd probably rather just uh, quit doing it. And, and, yeah. and we don't want that. Well, and so what do they do instead? They do what they did. They get out to the community. They get the word out to this guy on the video. They get us talking about it on our podcast. Our listeners hear about it. It's talked about maybe in the forums. And so that's how it's, it's policed is people are going to know, hey, we don't want to do business with the people that are stealing the shit, the setups. And so they don't. And then they go out of business and it, it self-corrects itself. You know, the market will will fix it. <laughs> That's true. But if you are one of the companies that are stealing these sets, you're not putting in 40 to 80 hours every week or two to build them. You're just ripping it off and send, selling it. You're not putting it, invest in anything. So you know, their, their margin for, uh, for profits are a lot, a lot looser because they're not investing any time in it. They're just, you're just copy and pasting basically. China. Plagiarism's plagiarism, right? All right. I got the next one. It's carding versus sim racing, which is the better training ground. And this video, uh, by safe is fast, uh, is, is quite good. I mean, it's five minutes, 30 uh, seconds long, and it has some interviews from some drivers, including Max Esterson, uh, who recently crossed over from iRacing to Real Racing, um, as well as others uh, like uh, Connor Daly, uh, describing what's better. I mean, where, what's a better training ground? Can Is it go-karts? Is it sim racing? Is it both? Um, and we get opinions on, on all those. Um, some drivers saying, you know, sim racing is not the way to go. We need, you need to get in a real car so you can feel the, the, the wheels below you. Um, I think, uh, what driver was the one saying that one of the IndyCar drivers, uh, Pato award, I believe is his name. Pato award was the one saying, yeah, you know, the sim, I, I can't feel it in my butt. Um, it's not the same as, as being in a car, but pretty much all the other drivers are saying, Hey, uh, you, if you're in racing now, you got to be in the sim. 
there is value there. You know, you can, uh, one guy, the guy from Lamar said, Hey, uh, you come off the winter season, you want to get back in the racing frame of mind, you go sim racing, you know, you get, uh, some repetition going and that kind of thing. Well, and you got to think of depending on what you're doing, like from where, where are the climates of sometimes, you, you know, we are in the world too, like you, racing's not always 100% time of the year. Like, you know, if you're here in Canada, you're only racing in the warm part of the year. So, you know, in the off season, you train your brain in other ways, right? Like keeps, you know, when you're off season, you train your brain to, uh, uh, to do this if you can't get into a physical car. But, you know, I believe, I believe your first bet, if you're going to, if you're serious about wanting to be a racer, you're going to have to be in a car that you're actually manhandling around track. You got to be in a real life car if you got the money to do it and and then mix it in with sim time to train for other things. There's, you got to use, you know, a a portion of each just to, um, to make yourself good nowadays. If you, you know, if you think of how much sim time these guys put in um, during the week and off times while, uh, while they're not, uh, you know, in the car, I mean, it's, it's, it's sim time. It's working out, it's eating right. It's driving cars in real life. Like it's, it's a whole lifestyle when you're doing this, it's not, you can't just do one thing. It's, you got to pick, you you know, you got to dedicate your whole life to doing, uh, if you're going to be serious about racing to do the discipline the right way. Another guy was saying that the go-kart, is the go-kart you know it's not a, a gt3 it's not an open wheel car it's not a nascar so sim racing you know will give you that experience you know in the in the bigger cars and different things that you know you'll never learn in go-kart racing you know so there's that of course well, i think I, I think that uh, the real racing gives you a better um understanding of crass race craftsmanship uh, because there's consequences that you don't get in sim racing for doing dumb things, you know? Um, so I, th- I think one thing that you would learn a lot quicker in real life is, is just those kind of etiquette things where, where there's serious, serious, uh, uh, there's serious replications for having these doing bad things, you know? So that's one thing I think is, uh, at least the learning curve is probably a lot quicker on uh in a real car than it is in sim racing yeah and i don't see it in the video but i remember um the the head of mclaren he was on there saying that you know esports is really the new you know entry level point to motorsports and uh they're really tying together because of that pretty cool uh, we, we have one event on the uh, current event list. Uh, just a reminder about our listener, Ron Morris. He has ronmorrisracing.com, and he has that Bristol doubleheader with the trucks, um, first and next-gen second. Uh, it's a money race. First place money is guaranteed. It's only a $15 entry uh, for the trucks, 25 for the cup. And you can find him at his website, ronmorrisracing.com, for more information. This is April 23rd, guys. It's kind of odd that they have trucks will be only an I rating of 2,500 or less on it, don't you think? I mean, and then the cup race is open to anyone. Yeah, uh, I, I think that they want to do that so that um, they have a division that's almost like a, 
drivers who right non pros guys who are just learn maybe still learning a little bit and uh, want to get in some into a race that's not going to be completely dominated by the professional you know high end. That's a good idea. Yeah, I like that idea. I I like it a lot. Okay. Other housekeeping. Go ahead. Sorry, did you guys talk about the Ross Chastain finish in the Coda race? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, we combined it with the uh, the uh, limits one. Okay, cool. Sorry, I missed that earlier, and uh, wish I was in on that one. I missed that one. <laughs> okay, so housekeeping. Don't forget the aftermath podcast out there. Get it. Our website, iRacersLounge.com. Man, it's a treasure trove of hardware links, guys. If you're looking for stuff, I can't tell you. We've been building it uh, over a year now, um, so check it out. Performance Motorsports Network. We're over there, too. All right, let's talk Coke Race at Richmond. Uh, beforehand, they had a really neat uh, video, radioactive, uh, like Fox uh, used to do with NASCAR, where you get to hear the crew chief, a spotter, driver talk, uh, you know, as the race progressed. And so they did a radioactive of Atlanta. I loved these videos last year when they did them. Um, was real excited to hear this one. Um, across a lot of the drivers. It wasn't a a particular one. Um, Really enjoyed the video. It made me jump in our chat, uh, Brian, and say, man, I want a real spotter. (laughs) Yeah. When you when you when you see these guys on these Coke Series races and they have like full support teams behind them, it's like and it's and it feels so right compared to the real thing you're just like that's that's what i want i want i want that full immersion i want a you know, spotter and crew chief talking to me the whole race you know the the ones that are uh you know the program ones the third party software spotters they're cool and they help you but it's nothing like having somebody in your ear who's talking with you and you can talk back with yeah so they did a preview of the video um in the pre-show uh, the pre-race uh, they posted the full video after the race at YouTube. So go to iRacing's channel and check it out. The other thing happened before the race was Landon Castle announced on Twitter, if either one of my eRacer GG drivers wins tonight at Richmond in the iRacing Coke race, I will ask Chris Rice about putting them in my 10 cup car for a race. That is so cool. And that it's an awesome incentive to try to win yourself a Coke race, you know, to get into a real car. Oh my God, that would be so awesome. It, it gave me goosebumps just thinking about Derek Bardot, Colin Bowden, the two drivers who were eligible who drive for eRacer. If they had won, won the race, they very well could have gotten a NASCAR ride in a major NASCAR series. I mean, how it's so cool of Landon to offer it. Um, you know, and, and these guys were running good. I mean, they, 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 you know, might've had a chance to get it, but they didn't, um, it didn't play out that way, but what a neat incentive. And I hope Landon and Chris Rice actually leave that deal on the table going forward for any win, hopefully. 
Yeah, and I hope it'd be cool if some other teams that actually have you know real drivers uh, would put, dangle that carrot and in front of their uh, in front of their sim race teams. Yeah, you got uh, Denny Hamlin and you got uh, mm-hmm. William Byron and all these guys. Uh, surely they right. can scare up a ride for these guys, right? Right, or or the the teams themselves, Joe Gibbs, right. uh, you know, all those guys. Yeah, Stuart Haas. Let's jump into the race. Yeah, so uh, Taylor Hurst uh, wins the pole for this one, and uh, right from the first lap, the chaos starts, and uh, the leader survived. Um, the first caution was actually for Malik Ray, who spun as he was in close quarters with uh, Brian Mercurio, and the two came together, sending in the number seven. Uh, so uh, that's how how this this thing started off. Yeah, cautions. Uh... Start out that way uh, with Mercurio, as you'll hear, Mercurio is involved in a lot of different things throughout this race, it seems like. But uh, neat to say, see Taylor Hurst on the pole. Uh, he's been a long-time veteran. I think it's his first pole. Um, it was neat to get an interview with him and, and hear him in the booth. Uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever heard him in the, in the booth on the broadcast. So pretty neat for Taylor. Yeah, sure was. Um- so uh, later on in lap 19, Corey Vincent takes second over from Brian Mercurio. But uh, Mercurio is in the wall with uh, Logan Clampett. Uh, caution was for uh, actually for uh, Liam Brotherton, who got tagged by uh, Parker Ritzlaff. Uh, just before the yellow, Colin Bodum gets loose, and Logan Clampett tried to avoid him, and Zach, nowhere, Zach Novak had, had just nowhere to go, and there was all three of them got heavy damage. Yeah, so again, Mercurio involved, uh, Clampett's in the wall. Clampett goes on to to, to do okay but uh, later in the race, but uh, some of these guys, heavy damage. Uh, Colin Bowden, who had the chance for the NASCAR race with uh, with Landon Castle, uh, he's involved. Uh, Zach Novak, heavy damage too. So we get another restart on lap 26, where uh, Taylor Hurst and Corey Vincent lead the field. Uh, on lap 30, the biggest move of the race so far is uh, Dylan Alt, who's uh, up 20 spots to 17th. So some big moves from uh, from Dylan. Um, on lap 48, another caution comes out as Rhea Falla gets spun um, on a, a three-wide incident. Yeah, and this kind of sets up a, a reoccurring theme of the evening with Ray Alfala getting spun. And this was just the first time of many. Uh, and it seems like a lot of these uh, cautions and, and, and spins and different things throughout the evening are always the guy on the outside of a three wide. Um, whoever goes to the inside, they get away with it. Whoever's in the middle, they usually get away with it. But the guy on the outside, he's toast every time. And uh, sure enough, it was Ray Alfala this time. So we get back to racing, and uh, Casey Kerwin, he's the first off pit road because he took two tires on his stop. But uh, not lo- long after, there's a big wreck with uh, involving Keegan Leahy, Dylan Alt, Caden uh, Honeycutt, and Zach Novak. Uh, Corey Vincent was in it, and Vicente Salas, and others were also involved on lap 61. Yeah, big wreck uh, right after the, the restart there, but... Casey Kerwin taking the lead there from uh, uh, Taylor Hurst and, and Corey Vincent was up there as well with that two-stop strategy. Um, and we'll also have to see how that played out for him as we go through this. But 
So we get a restart on lap 66 with uh, Casey Kerwin and, and Taylor Hurst uh, leading the field in the turn one. Uh, lap 61, uh, Michael Conte's back in the mix. He takes second from Taylor Hurst, but but Hurst is uh, fights hard and doesn't let him go so easily. Uh, but there's uh turns out to be another caution with 54 to go as Garrett Maines is upside down. Yeah, another. Uh you know, mash up a, a wreck. Now he didn't get turned upside down during the wreck. It's he was, uh, you know, backwards on the track. He spun the car around and as he spun it around, the car came down onto the apron and that transition from the banking to the apron caused the car to flip over on its lid. So it made it a lot worse for him because he had to tow and then he lost laps and so forth. So uh, under this caution, uh, Casey Kerwin decides to pit and get new tires. Remember, he's uh, working on a two-tire stop from before, um, which gives the lead to Michael Conte. Um, there's a restart on lap 59 with Conte and uh, Taylor Hurst leading the field in a turn one. And another caution, as you mentioned already, Ray Fowler gets spun on the outside wall for the second time tonight. Three-wide battle ends up with the four-time chance uh, champ Ray Alfala gets spun for the second time. You know what's funny is after the race, Ray tweeted out tough night or something like that, but he, he took a picture of his race car, you know, like the the splash ones that Drew Adamson makes where they're, you know, they're all colored and everything. He he posted it on the Twitter, but he turned it upside down. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. So, uh, so uh, as we return back to the race, uh, Garrett Maines he uh, gets a free pass after being upside down, so he gets back his lap and gets restart with forty-one to go with Michael Conte and Taylor Hurst still leading the field in the turn one. Another caution comes out with Vicente Salas, Casey Kerwin spinning into the wall um, with uh, thirty-nine to go. There's three wide. Uh, three wide dive bombs are not turning out well for those on the top side, as you mentioned, Mike. Um, th these dive bombs just—they just force the guys on the outside wall uh, in, you know, to, to have issues. So it's hard luck for Ker Kerwin, who uh, who got those tires but wasn't able to really capitalize. Yeah, and he lost the track position and kind of got back there in the mess, as they call it. And but yeah, uh, if, you know, it's. It's easy to go to the inside, uh, and that's how you get spots here. Um, one guy who was doing it better than anybody all night was, um, you know, Graham. And, uh, you know, Graham was just digging on the bottom, and, and he, he was one of the movers who was moving up through there more than, more than most. Yeah, Richmond's one of those tracks. If you can get the bottom to work really well, you can really, you can really make up some time. And and, and make some spot because that's it's really the ideal way to pass. Um, you can you can uh, get low and then uh, you know possibly uh, do do some sliders coming out of the exit to the turn and, and block the uh, car on the outside from getting those uh, good runs. So yeah, so if you got the bottom working like like Grambolon was, then then uh, you're gonna have you're gonna have a good night. But um, getting back to racing, uh, we have Keegan Leahy, who's uh, was 37th at that caution. He gets a uh, lap back, uh, and the restart comes out with 34 to go with Michael Conte and now Nick Ottinger uh, on the outside leading the field in the turn one. And another caution comes out as Brian LaPrade spins off turn two with Nick Sheldon and Derek Justins is co collected in that wreck. So uh, some more uh, some more cautions and more carnage in this race as we advance. 
Yeah, we'd be here all night if we named every car involved. I mean, we posted some pictures on from Twitter of this wreck. I mean, and you look at the wide shot. I mean, you got a dozen cars turned sideways all over the the track from top to bottom. Uh, what a mess! Yeah, Richmond can be like the world's smallest uh, smallest uh, super speedway. Uh, kind of races like that sometimes, especially when it comes down to wrecks. They get they get really involved, and a lot of cars can get tangled up in a hurry. So uh, we go back to the race with 28 laps to go, and uh, Michael Conte still sitting in front. Nick Gottinger on the outside. Uh, another caution comes out. This time, Liam Brotherton, Ray Alfala, Hayden Honeycutt spin, 27 to go. Liam has just missed the breaking point and took Alfala out. Not a good night for Alfala. It's just going from bad to worse. It was ugly, too. It was an ugly, ugly wreck. I mean, like, Liam, like, literally missed his break point. Like, didn't even hit the brakes at all. I mean, he just, it's like he just never even lifted. It just drove straight into the side array. And so, I mean, Ray Alfala, I, I can't imagine he has any hair left, you know, pulling out your hair. You know, what do I have to do to not get wrecked? So uh, at this point, we got 21 to go. Michael Conti is still in the lead. Nick Ottinger still joining him in the front row. Um, and uh, yet another caution three laps later on lap 18 with or with 18 to go, I should say, with Dylan Duvall among those involved. A bit of a checkup and a domino effect, and uh, Duvall just gets the worst of it. Yeah, one of those, like I described earlier, where you just get a little loose and you just got to steer it back to the right to catch it. You know, one guy does that. The guy behind him, you know, checks to and misses him, but then that whole domino effect, you know, and I think uh, D- Dylan Duvall was maybe the third car back, and he plowed in basically and ends up, you know, getting plowed in from behind and spun and whatnot. So tough break for him. Yeah, I mean, this is three laps after a restart, so everybody's still bunched up. You know, all you got to do is, you know, when you get those little twitches where you got to correct like that, you almost, you, you pretty much have to have to let go of the the uh, throttle to to save it. And when you do that, uh, they just start slamming slamming into you. You know, one check up after the next, and next thing you know, the last guy gets gets the gets the spin. So uh, Garrett Baines actually gets another free pass uh, to get another lap back. So that should put the uh, Elliott Sadler's eSport driver back on the lead. Um, and then we got 13 to go on this restart. Still Michael Conte and Nick Ottinger in the front row with 10 to go. Ottinger hits the wall and Grand Bowling gets into second and with, uh, with better tires. Then another yellow as a caution comes out where Parker uh, and Logan Clampett crash on the backstretch with nine to go. It seemed to be going uh, after each other pretty good. Yeah, that was – well, first of all, Mike Conti on all these restarts, getting the job done, keeping the lead, keeping these guys behind him, keeping them guessing about when he goes, you know, right after the pace car, right before, on the green – a moment before the green, so he he's getting it done. Bolin, Graham Bolin's coming though. I mean, and he does have the better tires than everybody. But uh, this wreck between uh, Parker Retzclaff and Logan Clampett, it was ugly. I mean, because they were going at each other. It, it, it looked like one had leaned on. I, I forget who did who first, but one guy leaned on one guy, and then the other one kind of went after the other one, and they all, both ended up 
you know, wrecking each other out, basically. Yes, so many times that happens when two drivers get, uh, you know, get on each other and then start really uh, going after it. They wind up both taking each other out. So, um, so we had another restart with just three to go this time. Michael Conte still in the lead, and Graham Bolin, uh, Graham Bolin, who you've talked about, who's uh, really fast. Uh, he takes the lead. Uh, they take the lead on turn one. Um, so uh, Mike with a big jump. Cameras were watching three wide battle for six. Announcers are calling the battle for the win. Uh, it's an awkward TV mo- moment until the director finally picks up Connie on the on the white, bringing it home. Uh, so they kind of kind of messed that up just a little bit. Uh, Grand didn't didn't just have Grand Bowling just didn't have enough to 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 run Michael Conte down the end. And uh, we need. Uh, need pictures and pictures for these uh, races so you can see different things going on there's so much excitement happening all the time so uh congratulations michael connie takes home the win that's his second of the season so he's off to a really solid start this year uh 13th of his career so uh congratulations to michael conte yeah it was a little weird at the end just because you know we're down to the the fi- maybe the final restart and and, you know, I, I like watching a battle as much as anybody, but it's the end of the race. I mean, we need to see who wins the race. And we were focused on a battle in six because they were three wide. And and so eventually they cut to the, to the leader, you know, taking his final lap. And you could see, you know, Graham, you know, back there behind him, Graham Bolin. But... I, I wish I would have seen that battle right after the restart, you know, between Conti and, and Graham and, you know, what was Graham with the better tires? Was he going to be able to catch him? And we didn't know because we were watching a battle in six. So what I'm calling for is I racing, man, we need a pitcher and pitcher, buddy. We need like you know, they do on Fox where they, they showed the one battle on one part of the screen and the other battle on the other part of the screen. I mean, let's do it. So we don't miss that uh, moment. Yeah, that's a good mic, um, especially with these late restarts, man. Um, you know there's just going to be stuff going on all over the track. You want to keep track of where the leaders are and, and how that battle is uh, unfolding. But at the same time, there's so much other stuff to, to check out. So yeah, it's a good suggestion to have uh, multiple uh, screens up at the same time to where you can, uh, you can uh, keep an eye on different things at the same time. I challenge the... Yeah, so it was a great, great race, great finish. Uh, there was some good video after the fact. Uh, they showed one video um, of these guys racing three wide, lap after lap, and and not wrecking each other. And it's it's pretty cool to see. As far as yeah. points go, I mean, Mike Conti's set for the playoffs with two wins now. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely uh, in the driver's seat as far as uh, playoffs. A really, really good race for him. Good season. If if uh, wasn't this race last year the one that um, Vicente Salas went wire to wire? I'm surprised he didn't have a have a better finish. I know it's a different car this year, but he was so dominant in this race last year. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, you're right. Well, this time it was Mike Conti. He's definitely on a roll. And uh, sorry, Evan Pasoko couldn't join us today. He's traveling, uh, headed to Monster Truck. Uh, today and the timing just didn't work out. So we'll get him on the show next time. We 
want to take a break from the show for a moment to tell you about our sponsor, Sim Coaches. Months ago, I made the switch to Sim Coaches from Load Cell Pedals. I can tell you from the experience, the difference is huge. I'm able to break deeper than my competition and be smoother on the power exiting the corner. They have helped me a ton. Right now, for a limited time, Sim Coaches is offering our audience 10% off your order. You can't find a better deal anywhere else. Use code iRacersLounge at checkout. Head over to the SimCoaches.com website and get yours now. Brian, how about fantasy? Okay, so uh, this week in fantasy uh, was uh, Coda, obviously. Um, winner of the week was Obaby44, and that actually uh, gave him the lead in the fantasy overall. So uh, Obaby44 is uh, in the lead overall with Spike Man 19 in second, and our own Tony Rochette, Tony the Tiger, third place. He's having a good season. Um, G.I. Jojo is in eighth overall, a returning uh, champion. Um, so he's got a little bit of work to do in, in the you know the remaining races. There's still a long way to go. Uh, I think uh, Tony Groves is still floundering a little bit for him. He's been so good at these the past couple of years. Um, so uh, maybe he's not getting uh, getting things right with the new car or something like that. But uh, so we'll look forward to Tony to try to get back in this thing too. You had a pretty good week, Greg. Yeah, it was a little bit <laughs> hit or miss. Um, that that was so hard to to figure out. It's not your conventional road racers. Like AJ Almeldinger was kind of like the only one that was your conventional road racer that was up there. The rest of it was hit or miss of how the race was going to go. And the way that that thing was playing out, it just, you know, just wasn't in my favor. I was up and down all race. Um, I can't remember. I think I put someone in the garage. And as soon as I did that, someone else got totaled that was in my lineup. And it's like, oh, great. <laughs> just as soon as you do it. But I don't, I don't know if you guys find it. I don't like the way the other part of the um, head head. fantasy set up this year. I'm okay with the, the, the five picks and that stuff, but I don't like the picking one person over another. It seems like, you know, I, I kind of like either last year or the year before better than what they're doing this year. Yeah, um, I'm just kind of randomly choosing those. I'm like, yeah, you know. Yeah, you're not doing any real research into it. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think um, the manufacturers that we used last year, it seemed like they would just get into a rhythm where it's like uh, every week you were picking Hendrix, 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 Hendrix. And then, um, you know, uh, some, some of the other manufacturers came on a little bit later in the season. But um, I, think, I think maybe that's why they went away from that version of, of the bonus points. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't hate the way they're doing it now because – you can um, find these little uh, little matchups to uh, follow along with your other drivers to see see if you can grab a couple extra bonus points. So I could go either way with that one. Yeah, I didn't do very well. I was thirty first. Um, Chris was was uh, Chris Gales forty eighth. Steve Lou Allen fifty fifth. Now he was leading or not long ago or uh, I think. But yeah, he didn't have a great week. Bobby Jonas, 57th. (laughs) 
Will this computer run iRacing? Not now. How about a video card? Somebody was talking about, uh, is it time to buy a 3090? And uh, if the price is right, now we can find out now because uh, Paul's Hardware has an updated uh, Google spreadsheet of pricing of all the different cards. Uh, what was their MSRP? What was the street price January, February, March? And how much has it changed? It's kind of like the stock market watching, looking at this for GPUs, right? Figuring out going up and down. When's the right time to buy? Well, if you look at the trend, the prices are going down, you know, big double di digit percentage numbers from where they were. Um, so are they at MSRP yet? No, they're not. So for example, the RTX 3090 was an MSRP of 1500. The retail price in March, 2140. So it's still overpriced. Now, this is obviously probably because supply is starting to pick up for the demand. So that's probably why it's coming down, right? Like we're, we're getting more cards are diluting the, the market to, to bring it down. So maybe by mid to late year, do you think we get closer to, uh, to MSRP? Yeah. The, so Paul's Hardware is a YouTube uh, video channel, and he basically said, yeah, he he's expecting the price to continue to f go down to MSRP. But the other thing is NVIDIA is going to be releasing the 4000 series here any moment. AMD has new cards, um, and then Intel is going to have their card this year, too. Yeah, I mean... I'm the the percentage over MSRP from the launch price to what it was actually selling for on the street is is kind of staggering. Um, I remember them. Uh, I remember when they announced the RTX like the 3080s and saying yeah, it's going to be a $700 card. I was like, man, this is awesome, $700 for a 3080 card. Well, I mean, the street price was $1,600 in January. I mean, that's great. That's it's 132 percent over. The retail price—it's over more than double what the what the launch price was supposed to be. The the GPU cards are just just skyrocketed in, in these places, and you know when these 4080s come out, don't even look at what uh, Nvidia is going to say that the price is at launch. It's not going to be that. It's going to be uh, two and a half times that. So be prepared for that. I think if you can get it. The the other thing yeah, too, exactly. if I'm thinking of this, so I have the 3080 Ti. And it's saying it, the MSRP was what twelve hundred, twelve hundred dollars American, right? So that's in U.S. dollars. I paid two grand Canadian for mine, so yeah. that's like twenty five hundred dollars American. So paid double, double what it's worth, mm -hmm. basically. Yep. But so did everybody else who bought a card during that time frame. I mean, it's not like you got ripped off. I'm everybody never going got back ripped either. Off. <laughs> I will. This system is the best thing. I will never. <laughs> I will never give up for what what it is. From what I was running to what I got now, I'm I'm completely and utterly satisfied with everything I did. It's just crazy. To, I mean, the last time I built a computer, I got the 2070 Super, and I think I paid seven hundred dollars for it. And to think that you know, if I was to build a computer today. I'd probably want the 3090 and I'd have to pay $2,100 for it. You know, compare that to 700 on my last bill. That's a huge jump, huge. 
Well, and I look at it as, so I have my studio computer and then I have my gaming computer. To build my studio computer, it is under the amount of what it costs to just buy the GPU for my gaming computer. That, like I can build the whole system on my studio computer for less than just the GPU for my gaming one. All right, now this link, this spreadsheet, guys, is it's it got a all the pricing, of course, what it should be, what it was, what it, what it, you know, MSRP. But it also is just a nice list of all the cards that are available on the market from AMD and Nvidia, and it gives you a, a quick comparison of which one spoke, you know, costs more than the other and that kind of thing. And, and so if you're looking to buy, I mean, this is a great resource. Okay. Uh, Greg, how about rig metal flagship cockpit? Yeah. So <laughs> rig metal, uh, flagship cockpit is so obviously the site is, um, rig metal.com. They have, uh, a, they're calling it their black cockpit. I guess it is cockpit cockpit black. Uh, it's $800 American, I believe that's in on here. I, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it's basically a basic 8020 uh, profiled rig with, uh, just trying to find out, does that seat come with it on this? No uh, seat. And if you add a mount, anyways, it changes it to It's your basic 8020 rig setup on, you know, it's got feet. Um, the seat that it's in the picture here looks like a decent seat. Uh, reclining seat for it um, but it's just another another option with the deck a, a small deck for um, I would guess these are for the, the other these aren't for the direct drive sets I don't know if there is an option for direct drives on here uh, I'm trying to find that out still but it looks like it looks like a decent uh, starter rig yeah um, they they have options for mount which increased the price to 830 or 850. Um, and the seat doesn't come with it. It looks okay, like your it normal. You're saying. Yeah, it looks like your normal 8020, you know, kind of profile like rig that you would get almost everywhere. Um, I, the thing about this is uh, it's available when a lot of places are like Sim Labs apparently is not available. Now, obviously. You know that being said, without a seat, I mean, it is a little costly for an eighty twenty at that price too, without a seat. Yeah, but like you said, when something's available, it's probably going to sell a little bit better more too, right? Yeah, we've talked about this company before. Um, I just thought I would bring it up again because, um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of back order situations going on out there. But basically, he uh, if you go to their homepage. They say new orders ship within two business days and they do flat rate of $30 shipping on the entire order in the continental U.S. The shipping isn't crazy either. And they have other stuff. They do offer the seats. They have a triple monitor stand. Um, they have accessories and add-ons and so forth. Okay, Brian, we got another review on that wheel, the IMM source. Yeah, this is the M Source ET5 uh, direct drive wheel and base uh, being reviewed by Barry Roland at the Sim Racing Garage. So this is that uh, 15 uh, newton meter, um, <clears throat> or sorry, it's 17 newton meter uh, wheelbase that uh, we saw talked a little bit about last week with um, Simpit. 
Um, so uh, I'll just jump to Barry's um, final thoughts because, um, you know, he basically is uh, real happy with it. Uh, he felt that it was very smooth. The buttons on the wheel were good. Uh, it has its own proprietary software. And he thought that, uh, that uh, you could really dial this in in quite well with the software he was very happy with the the balance between smoothness and and strength um so uh real happy with that the construction was uh, very solid there was no no play in the connection point and the quick connect like um a lot of people complain about um fan attack where there, there's a little bit of a wobble in that uh quick release um, so he had a lot of good things about it, you know. One of the things that he mentioned, and and I, I concur with him, with him is that you know there's so many good products as far as direct drive wheels available now. It's getting really hard to decide wh which one you want to get. Um, so so a, a, a solid review from Barry at Sim Simulation Garage, and we know he he puts these uh puts these products through the ringer and really tests them tests them hard. So. Um, yeah, so it's, like I said, it's it's just another really good wheelbase to choose from if you're uh, if you're getting ready to get into that market. Yeah, I mean it's a good thing to have too many choices, and that's kind of where we're at with these things. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of different options out there for sure. Uh, this next one I ran across, uh, Liron Sejev uh, shows on his YouTube channel different power options that you should do on your computer. Um, and he basically says there's a thing in windows that is called uh, fast uh, restart or fast uh, startup, I guess is what it's called. And he basically says, go in there and turn it off in the settings. Uh, why? Because what happened, it's called turn on fast startup. And so you basically go uncheck that under uh, control panel, hardware and sound, power options, and system settings. Why? Because if you don't, it doesn't actually shut down the computer completely when you do a shutdown. It leaves the kernel up and running. So if you know anything about Windows, you know everything runs in a kernel. Well, the kernel actually never gets restarted or shut down unless you uncheck that Windows setting. And so he's saying, if you un you should uncheck it, that way when you shut down your computer, it does shut down the kernel. And so when the computer restarts, it's restarting the kernel fresh, and it doesn't have any cache in it or any other problems and so forth. And so uh, why not? I went ahead and uh, made the change, and uh, you know I can't tell if it's made a difference or not, but it seems uh, plausible that it makes sense to do it. Yeah, I, I thought this was really interesting too because. Yeah, with those kernels still active with a fast shutdown, if you were having an issue with, with a piece of a software that wasn't communicating right or something like that, and you thought um, just by shutting it down and, re and starting it back up, you were going to fix the problem, you might not because those kernels will remember everything that, that, that the problems were causing. So, um, so, yeah, so he shows you how to do this. I think there was a secondary way to do it by hitting shift as you power down. Um, that was also on on his uh, on his video. So there was a secondary option to do that hard shutdown rather than the fast the fast shutdown. Um, but it, the easiest way was to go into your power settings and adjust that to get it uh, to get it to where it shuts down uh, by disabling the kernels every time you do a full shutdown as well. Um, 
And he also showed you how to set up um, a hibernate um, when you, um, instead of a sleep mode. Uh, a sleep mode is different than the hibernation screen. So for example, um, when, when I shut down, when I shut down my computer, the LEDs stay uh, lit up, you know, it's, or, or sorry, not when I shut down, when I put it to sleep, the LEDs stay active. Um, any peripherals you've had set up through the, um, through the USBs are still powered. But when you go, when you shut it, when you do a hibernate instead of a sleep, it does disconnect all that, the, that background power and shut and shuts it off. But when you do restart the computer, it will remember whatever programs you still had active at the time when you shut it down or put it to sleep. So yeah, some neat options for, for different ways to shut down your computer and the benefits of, of doing it in different ways. I, I definitely didn't know about this stuff. I'm going to have to set my computers up because I found the last couple of days I've been, you know, it's uh, some of the nights after running after a while on, uh, on the sim, like even the other night when we were running the fast track, um, like my room was really hot. So I, after I was done the race, I, you know, turned the computer off and shut everything down just to try and cool my room down. So if some of these things aren't, uh, and I know my, my gaming computer turns on real quickly and goes right to the thing. So I'm going to see if any of these uh, things are enabled because I'd like to make sure I'm doing the right thing for it. Yeah. So he said, if you restart your computer, it does restart the kernel. But when you shut down, it did. It doesn't actually because of that fast restart toggle. Pretty cool. All right. Next up is some Sim Magic Pedals review by Lawrence Dusosawa. <laughs> I, I really butchered that one. Uh, he reviews the Sim Magic Pedals, um, and you know it's interesting to see what Sim Magic has done with their pedals. Um, what did you think? I mean, they look pretty cool. Well, um, yeah, first of all, I would say they look pretty neat. I like the I like the pedal pads for the brake gas and uh, and clutch. Um, so it's a uh, it's a combination, right? Load cell for certain things and the hydraulic for the brake. Isn't that right? Yeah, he's got they got a mix of stuff going on. And at the end of the day, I, at the final thought part, I mean, he wasn't too favorable on a few things. Um, Specifically, the clutch. Um, this wasn't right at all. The design is a little weird because it. it if you if you look at, I'll tell you where to look at. Uh, it, the timestamp is fourteen fifty, and you'll see the clutch. The way it the mechanism works is it pushes that rod down, and it goes backwards, and then it falls down and into a lower hole. And it's just clunky, I think, is the way they described it. But the way it looks is kind of weird, too. Do you think over time that thing wearing out could either bind or get stuck, too, maybe, um, if not properly maintained? Like, I feel like it could get, if you know, if you get, like, a burr or something on something in there, it gets stuck and it just doesn't operate. I find that the clutch pedal is, because a lot of these cars don't use the clutch as much anymore, and for some of these things, there's a lot of less technology and these expensive pedals going into that. It's more of the accelerator and the brake, right? Yeah, and that's what he said. I mean, if you if you're only worried about the, the accelerator and brake, you're you're probably fine with these. Um, yeah, I do remember him mentioning that the um, that the hydraulics on the brake pedal had a made a whine, a little whining noise. Um, 
which was uh which was kind of weird so um i don't know if that's an indication of you know a possible issue where they they could leak over time i don't know but um yeah that was kind of odd that they they make a noise when you're pressing the pedal and then the pedal face actually came loose on him and like the bolts weren't tightened down you know it was just little stuff like that the other thing he mentioned was the electronics um he he said the the people that designed the brakes for seemed like they were a different team from the people who designed the electronics and they never talked to each other because it, it looked like the uh, electronics part of the brakes were just an afterthought like oh you know you know the last minute oh we got to figure something out and and basically you just got this little plexiglass box with the electronics in it there's nowhere to put it and then the wires are just kind of run all over. Yeah, I was kind of looking at this. I know Brian. I don't know how much of an F one fan you're at. You're uh, you are, but looking at this reminds me of when uh, Honda came in and was trying to fit their motor in the McLaren body, and McLaren couldn't figure out how to design. They always they were telling they they were de- would design the car and then try and shove the motor in, and, and neither of them were working together when they first started. Uh, going at it because it was two different entities working together yeah i I can kind of see where you're saying um when you're trying to fit that uh square peg in a round hole and it's not quite working because it wasn't designed to to meet up in the middle to begin with um so yeah that's a that's a good analogy but yeah i i i think you're kind of on on the right path with with the way that um he mentioned that these these pedals and uh electronics are not quite matched up right mike i'm just watching on the one spot here i think it's like around the 1730 mark when he's shaking the pedals side to side it seems like they are not the the sturdiest pedal design either like they're you know there's no i would i don't know if i'd have confidence if i'm pushing it straight down that it's going straight because it looks like you could but like if you miss it some what if your foot slides off and you push it on the side? Like I, I feel like it's just not a sturdy base feeling to it. Yeah, the, there's play left or right. You know, as he wiggles them, you're right, man. I mean, when you look at these, it makes you think how awesome those sim coach pedals are. They don't move a, a a millimeter. They don't move at all. I mean, they're just so they're like granite, and they have a place for the electronics and the wires and. And it all looks uh, seamless, and and so it really makes you to, uh, appreciate, you know, some of the better designed pedals, I guess. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah. and that's you know that's that's the difference between you know, like really high end pedals and and that's why they cost twice as much, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That's it's high end user stuff. Yeah, you pay for what you get, and that's the word right there. You de- that's definitely what what the hardware is. You definitely get what you pay for. So let's talk about this next one. Do they get what they pay for with the next level racing motion plus platform? Now we've already talked about this last week. Another video has surfaced. And so I wanted to take a look at it. Um, and this one is actually put out by next level racing and it shows um, a view from behind, from the side uh, and, uh, and from the angle uh, from an angle of the motion of this cockpit as he goes around the track and and you kind of get a visual of how the cockpit sways you know forward backwards you know left right you know as as he drives around the track and it gives you a a flavor of 
you know, how much play does this motion system have? I mean, what'd you think, Brian, when you, you saw, uh, saw this? Um, yeah, I, we, we did talk about this last week. It's the one that has the, um, the platform that's underneath the rig and doesn't have the actuators on the four corners. So looking at it, I, I feel like the, um, the actuator system, like I have, has better movement, more movement, and um, is less money. Um, I wasn't super impressed with what I saw as far as the uh, the range of motion, you know, the quickness and speed of the motion. That's always really really important because you know if you're if you're racing and you're and you hit the brakes really hard, you want to you want that that thrust forward to be like instant and really strong. And I didn't didn't to me this system didn't quite look like it was uh, up to the par as far as that goes, and um, if that's the case, then the actuator system is a cheaper version to get a better a better result. Yeah, I, I don't. When I'm looking at this, it kind of of all the systems I've seen, it's it reminds me of like a base shaker system. It's not really, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of motion movement. It's, it's so little. It's like a shaker of, uh, of it. It's subtle that yeah, you're right. It's not a lot of range of motion. Um, the timing or the delay, I, I see a delay now. It could be the video, the way that they did it. Maybe it, it's not lined up just perfectly. So you got to give them that. But you know, when you see the car on the left side, you know, go, into the corner and you you see on the right side the cockpit leaning you know to one side it doesn't feel it feels like there's just a little delay there just a tiny bit i mean but that's all it takes right yeah that's all it takes to you know when your mind is seeing something and your body's not reacting to it uh, you know or at least not reacting to it right away it, it throws it off just just a touch but it could be all that it takes to to um, to remove some of the immersive uh, feeling of it. Why do you think Next Level Racing thinks this is better than uh, the D box style, you know, four post four corner thing? Is it just their theory on a new design, and that's what they're trying to force? So it's just something different. I mean, it's very low profile because it doesn't, you know, add to the left or right of the rig, you know, and make it stick out further because everything's underneath it, you know, so. There, that's the only advantage I, I can see. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, that's that's. The, uh, I think that would be the biggest uh, uh, the biggest selling point is that you do get the motion, but you don't have to. Uh, you don't need any extra space for it. It fits right underneath what you already have. All right. Next up, Brian overlays in VR. Okay. Yeah. So I saw this uh, YouTube video after. I was looking at the MRTV, the Mixed Reality TV YouTube channel, and I was uh, I was going through a couple of his videos, and he had one on an Open XR, which is a software program that he was able to use on Microsoft Flight Simulator, and really, it really um, increased his frame rate for what he was uh, getting before. Now, Microsoft, the Flight Simulator from Microsoft is a is a notorious system hog, and um, you can really get laggy. Um, slow flame frame rates because it's such a intensive system. Well, he tried this open XR, uh, uh, third party software and he was able to keep the resolutions, but the frame rates, uh, nearly doubled. So I looked and I was just searching around to see if this open XR, uh, was 
available for iRacing or if it worked on iRacing. It's supposedly a third party um third party app so it should should work with any 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 um software any game because uh it's not tied to microsoft simulator i think it was just he used that as an example because it's such a system hog but what i did find when i did that they use this um they use this ovr toolkit um to to uh put overlays in your eye in um eye racing on vr so uh it was able to use uh race labs and and a couple other um third-party systems and this video um shows you how to put these overlays in your vr headset and uh using this uh ovr toolkit uh so this video is from uh someone called no tech drama and uh yeah he goes over it and shows you how he set it up so you know if you're one of those guys who who likes who who likes VR but doesn't like the uh, the ability to not see um, these third party apps while you're in VR, this uh, this this video will uh, walk you through and show you how you can do that. So, uh, it's a pretty pretty cool thing. I, I've heard a lot of people asking me questions about um, about um, using overlays in VR, and uh, this video will help you guys out with something like that. So, Brian, we've all raced VR, like me, you, David. There's a bunch of us that run or had run VR. I think that was the thing that was lacking the most always with VR is the overlays. Just the, te the, the, the technology for the overlays in VR was just not there to use third-party apps. It was whatever iRacing had, and that was it. And we'd like to use our other softwares properly in there. We've had ways of bringing them in, kind of, but... It, they were never good fixes. So if this is something that might work a little bit better, um, it, it's good to uh, it's good to finally have that. Now, is the OVR toolkit free? I didn't check that out, but I think it is because I, cool. I, I did a quick hit on it and I didn't see any price associated with it. I haven't downloaded it or nothing or really gotten deep into it. I just thought this was really cool because I know a lot of people have been asking questions about um, about overlays in VR. And uh, going back to Greg's point, you know, how many Coke drivers use VR? The answer is zero. And and part of the reason is because they're, you know, they're running at a such high end of competition. They need all the data that, that they can get. And, um, and you just don't have that ability uh, so easily in VR, whereas if you had the extra screen for, for, um, for data, um, it, it would uh, it can help you out a lot more if you, if you have this information and you know I don't know if that means you know something like this would would change a coach driver's mind because there's other things to consider like you know you're on TV and it's not as exciting to see somebody in 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 their rig with a mask on their face so um, but yeah so this gives you the ability to to get some of that data in front of you while you're racing in VR. So I'm I haven't done VR. So I mean, how is David putting an overlay in VR now without this tool? Well, I think if David's working with a, with a, what you run there, right, Brian? Because I I know how it's done in in uh, the the Rift S's and stuff like that. You have to cut make a virtual window, which is basically taking it's like basically adding a third monitor inside your screen. And either put it up or down, and it's basically taking one of your monitors and running as a resource inside of it, which does hog a lot of GPU and CPU uh, resources too. When you add another, you know, you got two two goggles trying to render, and then you add a third screen in where you're putting it like above or below where you're looking, um, which is kind of hinders too, right? If 
if I'm using a, a third window and I got to put it up or down, you, you either look up or you look down when you're doing something. It kind of doesn't help you when you're racing. I bet you David will be the first one to try this too. Yeah, yeah. I know David swears by whatever he's got done right now too. So, you know, it might be whatever way he has it, he might like it now. I don't know. He'd have to look at this video and watch it. I would definitely suggest David probably watch this video and see if there's any benefits to him, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it would be something, somebody like David, who, who is, you know, he's top split guy, and he, he needs a, he needs his telemetry. He, he uses, utilizes it quite a bit. So this might be a different uh, different way for him to configure it. So, yeah, it's, it's I, I, I really haven't messed a whole lot with overlays myself personally because um, I feel like it, it uh, you lose some of the immersive feeling of actually being in a race car. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not good enough that telemetry is going to make me that much better anyway. So, yeah, so uh, <laughs> I, I just thought this was a pretty cool idea to, to set some people in the direction of setting up multiple overlays and stuff. Okay, pretty cool. Last uh, hardware we have is a Rain Sim posted by Sim Race Blog NL on Instagram. Shows a photo of the guy in his cockpit. Uh, in a race, and he's got uh, shower heads installed above the triples, uh, showering down the rain on him as he drives. What do you think about uh, getting a rain sim? You're wearing, especially in VR, you're wearing a lot of electronical stuff. I don't suggest that this is a good idea to have anything <laughs> water. A wind simulator is where I think we draw the line of immersion. I don't think we go to uh, to, <laughs> to having a wet rig in a wet area while you're driving. I mean, obviously, um, we're, we're, we're less than, what, eight hours away from starting to see some really weird jokes coming out for the night. Sorry, less than four hours away from seeing some really weird jokes pop up here of uh, uh, April Fool's jokes. Yeah, this came from Europe, and it's April's for April first already in Europe. So um, this is all part of the April Fools. Question is, could you actually make that work? That's that's the question. I know they make uh, electronic uh, valves that would probably yeah, get turned on say. and off with uh, with a certain um, feedback from a computer. So I think you could probably actually make that work in one way or another. But yeah, I don't think that's practical. Now yeah, but- I want a wind sim. Is what I've decided. I, I was sweating racing the other day, and I'm like, man, it's almost summer. I need to win sim, so I'm going to buy one for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm looking into that as my next investment too, Mike. That's uh, what I want to add for uh, this next, uh, you know, next couple months here. Now, which one do you have, Brian? I have uh, the Simnetics one. Um, it's a it's a company we reviewed about a year ago, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty it's a pretty solid uh, win sim. All of them, for th- pretty much all of them that I've heard reviews on, uh, there's a noise factor involved, so you know it can be kind of loud. But um, yeah, the, the one I got was pretty good. You can get it with or without the telemetry. Um, um, I know that uh, who uh, the Sim Racing Studios has their own um, wind simulator kit, so that's another one you might want to check into. All right. Let's talk results. 
NASCAR iRacing Series. Let's uh, see how we did at Coda. I finished up Friday Open P9. Started like 16th, got to 11th by lap one. I always kick butt on the first lap. At the end of the long inner straight, some guy went right across my brow as I made that sharp U-turn. 25 seconds damage. I only slipped like once and I lost a couple of seconds. Other than that, it was pretty much a flawless race. Um, really happy to get a top 10 on a road course. Uh, man, the, those two things never came out of my mouth before. David, uh, he got a technical issue. He said he tightened his throttle cylinder and couldn't get the car to downshift the whole race. Uh, it wasn't getting enough response to blip. Yeah, I think he was. I think he was a little frustrated because he left pretty quickly too from that race after it didn't. He's like, "Bye, guys," and then that was it. Like he literally couldn't shift, and I'm like, yeah. "Well, I have blip turned on to make it easy." Yeah, well, and, I was going to say, David's could he turn here. on auto blip? Yeah, well, I don't use auto blip on it either. But I know David afterwards went to work with uh, downloading the Sim Coach software to work with the throttle pedal, and he got it to where he was consistently running better lap times at that track so i'm interested to see over the next couple weeks how um that benefits him going forward with the software yeah he did get it fixed i'm surprised he didn't have that um sim coach software downloaded sooner it's been around for a little while i I think with him it was just he was comfortable factor he was where he was at and then now i guess he's just looking for that little extra edge right like you know fine-tuning stuff the further he goes yeah because those pedals are they're pre-bled, as they call them, um, the, and they're ready to go out of the box. I mean, like you could bolt them on and race them without the software, I think. Yeah, you definitely can. It's just the full software, you have the ability to fine tune it a little bit better. All right, Greg, uh, you had a bad, well, you had a good race going, but you got disconnected. Yeah, so that's two weeks in a row at in NIS races. I've lost the connection in i think that one was mid-race but i lost the the previous week with like five to go so i'm just a little sucks i don't know it sucks i don't know what's happened um but you know sometimes you just can't pinpoint why disconnects happen and you just got to move on with it yeah you didn't lose team speak or anything like that which is that's what's like uh, you you said the same thing mike when you've had disconnects it's like why does it disconnect in certain things and not others? Right, like if I lost the internet at my house, I would lose my TeamSpeak connection, right? Well, even my thing is, is mine's the way our stuff is, is it's all cable or it's all uh, through our cable and stuff is, is through the internet as well. So if the whole thing went down, technically my kids and my wife watching TV, they should have lost signal too, which they don't. All right, Kyle. Got a P6. He said, started P10, worked my way up to top five and held the top five all the way through pit cycles. Led four laps and pitted on lap 22, hoping to make up ground with fresh tires while the field had older tires. Came out P7 and just overdrove the car the last 12 laps and finished with a solid P6. Now, I was in Kyle's split and I think he would have had a better finish if he had pitted when everyone else did. He was on that alternate strategy and I actually think it bit him. I think the biggest problem is guys overthink the road courses without cautions, just pit it halfway. There's just, there's just no need to, 
I've always pitted at halfway and maybe a couple laps earlier if you get in traffic or something, if you want to leapfrog traffic, pit a lap earlier or whatever. But halfway is where you got to pit on the road courses without cautions. All right, Sunday open. Kyle P5 was having PC issues, restarted by PC during qualifying, so started back in 18th. Started the race with shifter issues, pitted lap one to fix it, came out P26, got involved with a spin right in front of me and got some damage. Fell back to 27th, worked my way up through the field, pitted at the halfway, came out P7, continued to charge on and work up to a P5. I was running down third and fourth, but just ran out of laps. So that time he did the halfway. All right, let's move on to Richmond. David, P7. Caught by other cars wrecking four times, had to finish the third green-white checker with 16X. Almost unlucky lucky. Uh, won't be able to get into the car again till Sunday. Yeah, David's in a concert uh, situation, playing saxophone and whatnot. Uh, I got to spot David on the last few laps of his race, and, uh, you know, I was just telling him, you know, protect the bottom, protect the bottom. Those guys are trying to dive down on the inside, and... And he was able to keep his spots doing that. I ran uh, Wednesday Open, P19. Yeah, I actually had a good run going, was marching forward on old tires. I went from 19th as high as fourth, but on lap 140, I got just a hair loose and it turned back to the right and slammed to the wall and then slammed down to the inside wall over four minutes damage. I lost two laps and just brought it home after that. Mike, I was watching your replay on that. Did it do the quick, like the, the where it grabs when you, it feels like it's floating and then all of a sudden grabs and turns right? Or was it just an unlucky turn back? It was just very minor loose, you know, come, coming up off four, late off four, like almost to the start finish line. And just a little bit loose and then you're just trying to correct just a hair. I mean, you're just turning back just a, to the right, uh, just a touch, and the whole car just goes right. I saw another guy who was running good today who had the same exact wreck. Um, he did, so it, it's something to do with this car. I don't think it was just me. Uh, Tom Dryling ran, he, he got wrecked and just marched at home as well. Um, and then Steve Allen, I forget where he finished. I think he was seventh. Um, and he had a fairly good run. Okay, and then today, Thursday open, P2. I started ninth, fairly clean race up front, uh, worked my way up to eventually leading the race with 50 to go. I led the last 50, uh, green-white checker number one. Um, restart, the guy dives bombs from way back, way back. He gets by, and so I, in the middle of the corner, uh, get into the back of him a bit, and I pushed him up a lane. It was a, a classic bump and run, uh, very much like uh, Ross did, or AJ did to Ross, um, and I got back by. But I was so focused on that move, I forgot about everybody else, and the guy that was in third gets by both of us somehow. And so he, he, well, he doesn't get biased, but he gets up at least side by side with me. And I'm on the outside, he's on the inside. We're coming through three and four to the checker. 
I can't hold him off. We touch a little bit. Um, and at the line, he won it. Uh, 0.03 second difference. It was literally side by side, an inch difference at the line. Uh, yeah, so it was bittersweet, I guess is the word I was telling Greg. I was shaking like a leaf afterwards. This is the second time this year that I've been leading on the white and not win the race. And so uh, I feel like I've given up a win, you know, I, just like I did in Phoenix and now Richmond. And uh, yeah, I mean, after all our talk earlier about intentional wrecking and all that and bump and run. Yeah, I did a bump and run today. Did I regret it? I don't think so. I mean, I'm going for the win. It's the white flag. I've led the 50 lap. I mean, you got to look at the whole circumstance, just like you were saying earlier, Greg. The whole circumstance was I was in control of that race for 50, the last 50. He dive bombed from four or five back to get inside of me. I let him have it so we wouldn't wreck. I was going to take my win. I was going to take it back. And so I did move him out of the way. Let's put it this way. Um, Mike, after watching the replay of that, and I don't want to give this guy any more screen time or any more listener time because he doesn't deserve it, but um, watching it, you know, what did he expect was going to happen? Did you expect, oh, you went by me. I'm going to let you go. You go You go have the win. No, that's not how you race. I'm sorry. You, you entered the corner. You rotated the corner better. And guess what? His bumper happened to be where you were rotating better through the corner. It wasn't a spin. It was a move up the track, and you got it. Did you not focus on the car behind you? Yeah, he got through the corner better than both of you, and he went on and took the win. The guy, yeah, we both the lost. guy that got moved, he can be bitter all he wants, but if he was in that situation, he's doing exactly what you did. So I don't want to. I don't want to hear, you know, this. You know, he wouldn't do this or I wouldn't do that. Everybody in their, your situation would have done the exact same thing. Uh, I'm sure Brian said, said thinks the same thing that I do there. Probably almost everybody that racing would do it. <laughs> Brian shaking his head. It's a joke here. It was a classic NASCAR ending. It really was. I mean, and uh, just on the wrong side of it. I mean, do I want to be leading on the last restart? I, I feel like I did. And, you know, I didn't want to be in second. I just felt like I had an advantage because I could jump on the restart, but those guys ate, ate my clock on that last lap. And uh, man, one of these days I'll get it. Hey, I mean, if you want to look at it this way, Mike, that person, if, if he really doesn't like the way that you race them there, there's there's plenty of other motorsports he can be a part of. There's F1 where they don't uh, do any of that stuff and uh, they cry about it when uh, some, somebody races them hard. So. He can take his uh, his his, ta his talents or whatever elsewhere, and and do that if he doesn't like being passed fairly with a little bit of uh, uh, of a little bit of contact. Because technically, you could have just taken him completely out. Well, the the OB one maybe I don't know. We'll see how it goes. And how are you gonna feel if he does the exact same thing to you? Will you be shocked, upset? No, that's it's part of it. It's like. It's like I said after the Coda race, bar rules. I mean, that's the kind of race that I like. I mean, anything goes, and and I it, it was kind of like that today in Richmond. So, yeah, it's, it's short track racing, you know, on the last lap. Come on, I, I mean, I, I'm the biggest proponent there is for clean racing, but um, you know, that's that's not 
anything out of the ordinary or anything dirty. That's just hard racing at the end of a short track race. Yeah, those guys were out to get me. I mean, uh, they were they were you know they were going as hard as he could. He drove it. He overdrove that. You know, trying to get inside of me. And so yeah, it's just like like you said, anything goes. So let's keep moving. Fast track league. It was at Texas Oval. Uh, I kind of sucked and just kind of rode around. Uh, we didn't work on our set was basically the problem. You didn't. Adam and I did. But we still we, sucked. We had a couple hours beforehand into it, but I'm not going to lie. I don't have a handle on this car yet when it comes to that. We've been relying on sets with some minor adjustments, and we didn't have a database built up of uh, a Texas set or something that was close to Texas to work for us. I have a feeling if I hadn't got into some shenanigans with uh, with what was going on on the track, maybe I finished better. But we just weren't contenders this this week. But who cares? It's you know, some some weeks you're some weeks you're the bull, and some weeks you're the uh, the, the red cape. Yeah, Adam ended up tenth. So did and the, it went green track. all the way too, like from 167 laps of green flag racing no cautions oh yeah did, did uh fast tracks this oval in lieu of coda was that is that what they did they just don't want to run the road course well yeah. and i don't know we don't agree like we kind of agree and don't agree with it i mean he doesn't want to lose the numbers by running the road course so he's run he's run some courses on the schedule he'll keep but other ones that he doesn't uh, want he's switched out and that's fine. It's his league. He gets to run it the way he wants um, He's probably right if Coda what do we have 30 race 30 33 or 34 starters for the Texas race there Probably Coda is probably 20 or under if you run Coda, maybe so It is what it is. Um, I think even in a couple weeks here. We're running the Bristol oval and not the dirt part yeah, it's to keep the numbers up. I think it worked. I mean, we had a good turnout. Well, and he's doing a great job with what's been going on. That they, He's picked the right guys to race clean races. I mean, that went 167 laps. Green flag racing on a week that had no, there's, there, you know, it's not like any of the feeder series are running Texas. And people came in there. It looked like it was going to be a little bit of a, a problem from practice with people spinning but they got all their spinning and crashing out in practice and did a hell of a job in the race yeah i certainly didn't expect it to be green the whole way and it's, so you know it's for us there's three of us that showed up david was busy that day with his uh you know recital stuff or band stuff um it, it kind of humbled us a bit we got a little bit of work still to do but it you know just drives the fuel for a little bit more right mike that's right other racing I did and hosted, Chris McGuire uh, puts up this weekend caddies at Daytona. That was a blast, but I got wrecked out. Then it was 87s at Talladega. Man, that was super fun. I was driving from the back to the front. I mean, I can literally, you know, there can be 40 guys out there and I can start last and I can get to the front at Talladega in the 87. Um, I, I just, I don't know. It's just, it clicks for me um, better than others, obviously. But I ended up wrecked. Um, and then uh, David actually, David Hall joined me for the first time in a Chris McGuire hosted. Um, even though I got wrecked in the big one, 
he uh, didn't, and he actually almost won. Uh, he was kicking himself after that race. He hit the wall, I think, with it was one or two to go. He hit the wall, and it basically lost his momentum. Um, if he had not hit the wall, I think he would have won that race. Uh, later on, I ran the IndyCar at Michigan. I ended up P4. And then the last race of the night, Supercars at Michigan, P2. Almost won that one. That was really close. Are these all on the same night, Mike? Uh, Chris McGuire's hosted stuff? This uh, series of races was the same evening. I think it was Saturday night. Um, but he runs them Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I like I like some of the combinations seats together. They look really fun. They are, and he, there's always a, a it's a short race, but there's limited fuel, and you have to stop for fuel. And so, I always excel at these, and usually end up contending for the win. So that's why I like it. OBRL Aftermath Truck Series. It's Tom Ogle with the win and the trucks at Richmond. Josh Robinson, second. Jason Higginbotham, third. Uh, Greg, what about your Gitter Done GT3 last week? Uh, I finished P2. I didn't disclose this in the chat, but I threw away a win with, uh, I think I was nine seconds, eight. No, it wasn't that far ahead. Maybe it was only like five seconds ahead. Um, I. I almost binned it in the last lap, and by the time I got back on the track, <laughs> a guy that was, uh, the Discord's always funny with the Get Her, get her Done guys, they're always talking and, and, and pumping you up or bringing you down as with jokes, trying to in there, and it's fun to listen to, um, and I think one of the comments in there was, don't mess up, and there I go, and mess up, and, uh, lose it on the last lap, but, uh, it was a good race, um, and uh, I really have fun just running the GT3s with these guys. I wish we'd have a little bit more um, turnout because the races uh, are a little scarce sometimes with the, the turnout crowd. But uh, we got a race tonight at Detroit. Um, and then I think next week is to my home track at uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. So, you know, I'm not saying anything, but I should probably uh, be pretty good at that one, I'd hope. <laughs> where, where was uh, the race this past week? Oh, uh, last week was uh, Mid Ohio. Nice. That's an interesting track with the GT3s, but uh, um, definitely fun. And I really, like I said, I really enjoy this guys. Uh, they, they're putting on a good league, and uh, I really wish the turnout numbers would be a lot higher for them. But uh, they're growing, so it's good. All right, let's jump into final thoughts, Brian McCubbin. Um. So yes, I had a really busy past week, and uh, I didn't need a good reason to miss coda so i i took one that i was really busy um so i'm looking forward to get back on some oval tracks that don't drive me absolute bananas um especially with the track limits on coda um i missed the earlier discussion from you guys i'm sure that came up because uh the track limits are so much different than what the way they raced it in in real life so uh looking forward to get back to an oval track real soon um i uh i wanted to shout out to our teammate tony rochette who's uh, recovering from from surgery and uh hopefully he's coming back real soon i think he's he's making good progress his bird wing got clipped. All right. Yeah, get better out there, Tony. All right, Greg Hectus, final thoughts. Uh, just to reiterate what Brian's saying about the, you know, 
talking we were we were talking about uh, coda and the track limits i think mike both both my myself and uh, your i rating probably just went down or your safety rating went down just talking about it we probably got x's just talking about it how sensitive it is but uh <laughs> um i didn't totally like coda with that car but it is what it is um i'm really want to get into the swing of things with the tracks here um my hockey season for is done on Sundays, so I can have my Sunday morning races back, so I can go to at least two races a week now uh, and uh, get some more stuff done. So I'm, I'm, I'm I can't wait for that. Um, yeah, and uh, we'll just uh, go from there. I mean, it was scarce for the show tonight. I thought it was going to be me and Mike back and forth all night, but uh, Brian stepped in late there, and uh, it's uh, it was a good show, I think, for uh, for the three of us. All right. Yeah. Well done. All right, my final thoughts, man. Excited for my new wheels to come. It's supposed to ship, I think, in two weeks. But I still have to wait for the hub from Fanatec, and that's not till like, mid-May or later. So, But at least I'll be able to plug it in and look at it and hold it in my hand. And I could always take uh, the hub apart on my oval wheel and, and do that. But I don't think I'll do that. I'll be patient. I've waited this long. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited to look into the wind sims. Um, it's just now getting hot here in Phoenix, and uh, I think I may have waited too long on this one. Uh, I want to maybe have, have them come up over the monitors. I can't maybe underneath the monitors. I haven't decided on that. But uh, sound is a consideration. Uh, like Brian said, they're, they're kind of noisy. So I'll just try to figure out which one's quieter and probably go with that. And uh, as far as the racing, man, it feels good to be in, content, in contention. It makes my uh, it makes me feel young again. It really does. Uh, to be leading laps when it's not a restrictor plate, when I'm legitimately up front, I've I've drove my way up there. I'm leading on the last lap. You know, and when you're a NASCAR driver, you're not always going to win these things when you're leading on the last lap. And I, I, I've shown that because it's ruthless. I mean, it is cutthroat out there. And I think that's why it makes it so beautiful to win these things and, and so sweet uh, when you do because uh, it's saying something. So with that, hey, we'll see you on the track later. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure you go subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.